welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it is my joy and honor to welcome all of you this morning as we gather for worship. Whether you're here in person or on the live streams, we are absolutely thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to offer you a warm welcome. We hope you were greeted as you came in and offered one of our, we call them swag bags, goodie bags. It has plenty of stuff in there to uh, introduce you to some of the ministries of the church, kind of what we aspire to be all about. And so we are glad you're here. And one of the major things we're about is developing friendships and developing relationships. And so this is a small way, but a practical way. If you are on the end of the aisle, there are pads there. If you would sign in yourself, send it down the row to your friend, or at least we hope soon to be friend. Be that way, we try to have a positive vision here. Uh, and sign in, it allows us, hopefully, the opportunity to get to know you. Several different announcements today. If you want to pull out your bulletins, a reminder that next Lord's Day, being the second Sunday of the month, is the Lord's Supper. And so we want to give notice to that and have us prepare our hearts for communing with the Lord in that way. Several different things going on in the women's ministry. And I just want to make you aware. One of the things with our emphasis on prayer, I'm really excited about this. The women are connecting to other women in prayer. The second Tuesday of each month, which means this Tuesday at 1 o'clock, see Sue Burmeister if you have any questions regarding that. Also, uh, we're help coming alongside to help with the victory train. And what is the victory train? It is assembling packets to be delivered to households in Greensboro with preschool-aged children. And so on Friday, the 23rd of August, we'll, ladies, you can be meeting up at Lakeside Church at 10 a.m. There's a sign-up sheet in the narthex if you are interested in joining together for that. And then a new ministry, it's called Secret Sisters, and that's a new women's ministry initiative designed, again, to promote friendship and community and uh, relationship together. Sign up in the narthex or see Renee Benzer if you have any questions regarding that. And then the last one is, yes, August 29th. It's a Monday evening. I'm showing up to, I like this, eat and speak. I those are two of my favorite things. I love to talk and I love eating. Lynn, thank you so much for inviting me to eat and talk. I, I can't wait, but that'll be Monday night, August 29th. It's called Pastor and Potluck. Again, I think there's a sign-up sheet out in the narthex. And then a reminder that we are getting ready to launch once again part of our new beginnings. ESL is starting up again. Registration will be on Sunday, September 11th. First Sunday of classes will be on the 18th. It is not too late to sign up to volunteer. See Russell Puppy. And Russell and Debbie, happy 51st anniversary, while I'm pointing on at you as well. See, Russell, if you have any questions regarding that. One of the things you hear me speak about often is how we are a covenant family, that we're all members of one another. We're part of the body of Christ, and we belong to each other. And when one part of the body celebrates, we all celebrate together. And we especially want to celebrate our kids, our covenant kids and our youth. And Evie's going to lead us in kind of the next part of this celebration. 
accomplishment. You know, we just started in, Ju in January, and we stopped in June. And in that time between January and June, in the Sunday school class and also with a lot of help at home, these children have learned 25 children's catechism questions and the books of the Old Testament. And I think that is just a remarkable thing to celebrate. We're so proud of them. So I'm going to ask them to come up and just wait up here so we can acknowledge them. Um, Olivia, Olivia Belfay, and Andrew Strickland. I saw him there. And Abigail White. Look at you, girl. You're back in a boot again. Okay. And Alistair White. And Asher White. Okay. Yes, sweetie. Mm -hmm. Look at that smile, Alistair. <laughs> you should smile. That's a huge accomplishment. Good for you. <laughs> there you go. You're looking very, very dapper today. And so let me just ask you guys, who made you? God. And what else did God make? Okay. Very good. That's just two of them. So <laughs> congratulations. You can go back. Go ahead. Thank you. Now the kids know the books of the Old Testament, books of the Bible, 25 catechism questions. Who do I want to call up to see how they do with question number 12? I kind of love this kind of power. This is this is kind this can be a fun thing. We really do celebrate the kids' accomplishments. Go see them after the service. Tell them how proud you are of them. We want to celebrate their achievement. We're thankful for this particular class and what they've done. Friends, we're here to worship the Lord. And so now as we listen to the prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship. Thank you. 
living God has called us into his very presence to worship him, and we are to bring our whole selves before him. So whether you are experiencing joys or troubles, sorrows or great times, bring your whole self before the Lord, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. And he lives and he walks among his treasured possessions, his covenant people. And we are here to praise him, we are here to adore him, we are here to pour out our hearts before him who loves us and has given himself for us. Our call to worship this morning comes from the opening verses of the ninth psalm. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Lord, we gather together this morning to praise your holy name, to exult in you. May you be our joy, no matter what's going on in our lives, whether we are on the mountain peak or whether we are struggling, wherever we might be, may we recount your deeds. We need your presence. We cry out to you, O oh our Lord, and we ask that you would be with us. Hear our prayers. We invoke your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing praise to our Lord, immortal, invisible, God only wise. ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. One thing we have to keep in mind when we're reading the letters of the New Testament is that they are written to Christians. Okay, so this is not an evangelistic 
invitation right here that says, okay, confess your sins and come to Christ. This is speaking to the found, to the members of the church. It is speaking to the church and saying, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. His word is not ruling in us. We're making him out to be a liar, and his word is not dwelling in us. We are invited as believers, as followers of Jesus, to come clean before him. He promises us forgiveness, and sin is what hinders and is an obstacle to our enjoyment of him, to our fellowship with him. This is not he's out to get us. This is he's inviting us to enjoy him. He's inviting us to fellowship with him. What are those areas in your life that block or hinder your relationship with him? Is it an area of unbelief? Is it an area of self-righteousness? An area of pride? An area where you're not trusting God? Take a few moments, engage and do business with the Lord. Ask him to search out your heart. Come clean before him. Remember the promise, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll take a few moments personally to confess our sins, and then I will invite us in, and we will corporately confess our sins together. Let us pray. Let us pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, friends, receive our assurance of pardon. John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What good news. We don't speak to the Father on our own behalf. We have an advocate who speaks and intercedes for us on our behalf, and the Father sees us, treats us, deals with us through him. 
We are loved. We are accepted. We are approved. We are treasured. We are delighted in because of and in and through the advocacy, the one who fights for us, the one who is a divine warrior who goes to battle for you, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's stand and continue to sing praises to him. always interested in relationship with us. The Psalms tell us to pour out our hearts before him, to trust in him at all times. Some of us are going through very difficult times, facing uncertainties, going through afflictions, health issues, relational issues. We need Jesus, and he invites us to come to, this is why he calls it a throne of grace. He doesn't say a throne of you have your act together says it's a throne of grace, and he invites us to pour out our hearts before him. Let's together acknowledge and go to him in a time of communion, a time of prayer, where we will together, as 
God's children recite the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come before you, Father, thanking you that you are here with us. Your word tells us that you are a refuge and a strength and ever-present help in trouble. And we pray for those who are hurting amongst us. We ask that you, the God of all comfort and the Father of all compassion, would comfort those who are hurting, would comfort those who are facing uncertain days and times, those who are afflicted, be it with their health, be it an uncertain future, be it something going on with, with family, with friends. Lord, help us, enable us. Holy Spirit, work in us that we may trust in you at all times. The psalmist promises that you count our tears, you count our tossings, and you store them up in a bottle. That everything we go through, Jesus, because you are Emmanuel, you go through it with us. Help us to feel and know and appropriate and live out of our union with you. You are not distant. You are not far off. Help us to know that. And Lord, as we abide in you and abide in your love, we pray for your love to fill us to overflowing that we may share and embody and display your love to others. That as we are comforted, we would be able to comfort others with the very comfort that we ourselves have received. That we would weep with those who weep. We would rejoice with those who rejoice. We celebrate our young people this morning. We thank you for their covenant families. We thank you for raising them up in the fear, the admonition, the nurture of you, Lord Jesus. We pray your continued success upon them. We thank you how they bonded together as a class. We pray that your word would continue to be stored up and hidden in their hearts that they would know that there would never be a day where they don't know the love of Jesus for them personally. Lord, we thank you for the ministries of the church. We thank you, Father, for the elders and for the deacons and the home fellowship groups, for the missions and the women's ministry teams and all the ministry teams that are meeting together. We pray, Father, that we would be your instruments, instruments in the Redeemer's hand, to bring renewal and healing and peace to this Lake Oconee area. Fill us that we may share the love of Christ, that we would not even worry about what other people are thinking. We're not worried about things like rejection. We're not worried about whether we have the right or the wrong answers all the time. That we would be free in our love for people. That it wouldn't be we're sharing you as a notch on our belt, but we would be overwhelmed with love and genuine care for people. That the reputation of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church is that we love well. Lord, we ask all of this acknowledging 
that yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours and yours alone is the power forever and ever, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As the choir sings this anthem today, uh, we invite you to join in and sing along with us.
Lion of Judah who has conquered the grave, who has ransomed the slaves? Is he coming again to build a new world, to build a new creation? He is. Is he worthy? You better believe it. That's why we're here. We're here to exalt him, to praise him. I hope to have our hearts melted and captured by him. We live according to our own schemes, our own devices, our own flesh, our own selfishness. We're doomed. But the Lion of Judah, who was also the Lamb who was slain, and who has died and who has risen to dwell amongst us. Wow. Amy, we could sing that every week. As far as I'm concerned, there, you know, there, there's the message. Is he worthy? Absolutely. We could sing that every week. If you have Bibles, I would invite you to turn them to Luke chapter 19. That's our text for this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19. And for those of you who are familiar with it, yes, it's the story of Zacchaeus. And no, I didn't choose it just because he and I have something in common, namely our height. And so, you know, I chose it for other reasons that I will share. But you know, the fact that he was small in stature doesn't bother me too much. It's kind of like, all right, we're both fearfully and wonderfully made. We'll go from that. So how about that? Let's pray together. Lord, you created the world and everything in it by the word of your power. By the breath of your power, you created all the worlds, visible and invisible. You have made the universe, and your word is living and active and working amongst us this morning. It is only by your word that we can be transformed. I pray for the success and the movement and the glory of you through your word this morning, that you would change us Lord, I am, a, I am a person of dry bones speaking amongst people of dry bones, and only you can breathe life into us. And I pray that you will do that, that you will move with power to create sinews and flesh and to actually transform us, to take our hearts of stone that are too often hard and cold before your word, and you would create in them hearts of flesh that, yes, are soft, yes, can be broken, yes, can be hurt, Yes, are vulnerable, but they're filled with life. And we ask that you would give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today 
salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves you. Okay, Vince Lombardi famously said at the opening of, I guess, one of the training camps, gentlemen, this is a football. Why did he do that? He was beginning with the essentials, and it doesn't get any more essential than that. We're here to play the game of a football. Here's a football. I learned this week something important about essentials. I was in Atlanta earlier this week doing some continued education. Evie and I went in, checked into our motel Wednesday. I had a dinner on Wednesday night, and I check in. I put my bag up, and I start to look, and I go, hmm, something essential's missing, my underwear. Not a good moment at that, particu at that particular time. I had orientation on Thursday. I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? What happens when you forget the essentials? Well, for this guy, he runs to the target very fast. Make sure we have that taken care of. But in the case of an organization, our lives, a church, if you forget the essentials, it's very easy to get off track. You miss your priorities. You get easily distracted. You begin to focus on non-essentials. They may be important things, but they're non-essentials. You miss your reason for being, and you are less effective. We've been looking at why the church exists. Why does God have this entity called the church on earth? Why doesn't he just save us and whisk us away to heaven? Why are we still here? And of course, we know our reason for being. We all say it, catechism question. We are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But let me ask you this question. What is the essential for the church glorifying God in its place and in its time? Specifically, it's God's mission. The church's reason for being is God's mission. And this morning, we're going to look at that essential because Jesus told us specifically what he came to do. Yes, we're going to look at various details from all of the 10 verses, but this is a sermon, and yes, I can go for 30 to 40 minutes on one verse. You're about to see me do it. This is a set. Some of you are shaking your head. There he goes again. We're going to preach essentially on verse 10 because here's the heart of it. Here's the heart of the... This is, gentlemen, here's a football. This is church... Here's why we're here. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's our reason for being. Everyone needs salvation. Religious people need salvation. The pagan or athe atheist needs salvation. The together, the broken, the rich, the poor, the insider, the outsider, the lost, the found, all need salvation. You need salvation. 
Jesus came for that express purpose, to seek and to save the lost. How does Jesus solve that need? We need salvation. How does he solve it? Verse 10 tells us. We're going to ask three questions of that verse. How is he bringing salvation? Who is he bringing salvation to? And what is he doing to save? In other words, the answer is basically, how is he doing it? He's seeking. Who is he seeking? The lost. What is he doing? He is saving. First of all, how is he doing it? He is seeking. And I want you to notice that salvation comes not by Zacchaeus inviting Jesus to his house, but Jesus is calling Zacchaeus and saying he would be coming to him. Look with me at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus didn't wait for an invitation from Zacchaeus. He said, I'll be there in a half hour. I'm on my way. I'm coming to you. You are worthy. You're worthwhile. I'm interested in you. He invited himself over to Zacchaeus' home, not the other way around. See, verse 10 states this directly. For the Son of Man came to seek. So let's ask a question. What is Jesus doing today? He's seeking. He is actively seeking, and we'll get who he's seeking in just a minute, but I want you to know in your families, in your neighborhoods, in Lake Oconee, in Greensboro, in Eatonton, he is seeking people to draw them to himself. Are we joining him on that? Or are we about our own business? He's seeking people, and you know what he has a church for? To join him on his mission. This is so free. I'm not trying to encourage you to have a mission. I'm going, Jesus has a mission. He's come to seek and save the lost. That's what he's about. He's going, do you want to join me? You want to join the party? Gentlemen, this is a football. Do you want to join me or not? That's what Jesus is doing. So let me try to be as practical as possible. Evie and I kind of have a running thing. I'll go home after the sermon, and I'll go, was that practical? I feel like sometimes I'm too theological. And I go, was that practical? So I'm really working on that end of my preaching, trying to give you specific things to do. So let me give you some. Have you walked your neighborhood asking? As you walk, yes, you're exercising. We're allowed to multitask. What does it say, walk and chew gum at the same time? You're allowed to do two things at the same time. As you're walking your neighborhood, are you asking, Jesus, are you seeking behind those people who are behind closed doors there? Are you seeking them? Could you possibly be seeking them? As you walk your neighborhood, are you praying for them? Are you praying for fill in the name? Are you praying about who he, who he might want you to bring the good news of salvation to? His mission, you're the instrument. In other words, he's the master builder, he's the architect, he's building the house. Do you know what you are? The toolbox. We're the toolbox. We're his toolbox for bringing the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to others. Have you asked him who he might be seeking? See, it's not us 
who sought him out. To experience salvation, you need to have that prior call. You need to have God's initiative. See, this becomes a problem for us partly because we give ourselves too much credit. We think, ah, I heard the message of the gospel and I accepted Christ. I received Christ. Wow, that's a lot of credit. You think you have the ability to do that? Because I know I don't have the ability to do that. I know when I first started to consider Christ, there was no way I was seeking him out. As a junior in high school, the last, and I thought I was a believer. I thought I believed in God. I wasn't a pagan. I wasn't an atheist. I was trying to be a good moral. You know, I wanted 51% to beat out 49% a little bit in terms of good versus bad. In no way was I considering Christ. I remember walking the halls of Downingtown High School as a junior when I just happened, notice I put that in quotes, by the way, just happened to meet this man Bob McCook, and Bob began to develop a friendship with me, began to ask me pointed questions. So I just happened again to go to a Young Life meeting, and I just happened again to go to a weekend retreat in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I wasn't seeking Jesus at all, but Jesus was seeking me. Jesus was taking the initiative to open my heart, to get me to consider the claims of him. He was inviting himself over to my house for dinner. And I know we get bogged down in all this and kind of go, wait a second, I received Christ, I want this. But time out for a second. I just want you to think about something for a second. Isn't this incredibly affirming to think that the God of the universe, the God who would create not only this galaxy, but everything, everything we see, everything we don't see, everything we can conceive of, everything we can't conceive of, that he is that interested in you personally to seek you out. That the one who we just sang to said, is he worthy? He stoops down and he goes, you are worthy. And we're arguing about who gets the credit? I'm speaking about me here, so let's be careful. Sometimes I think I can be cracked about the head a little bit. He is seeking. See, religion is about us pursuing God. The gospel is about God pursuing us. And we're loved enough. We're valued enough. We're important enough. This to me, this is why I get passionate, by the way. I don't view myself as that important a person. And I go, the God of the universe views me as that important that he's seeking me out? Who might God be seeking out in our community, in your neighborhood, in your family, that he wants you to introduce to himself? Okay, that's the first point. Now the second point. Who is Jesus seeking? And the answer is the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek the lost. First of all, let's take a look at who Zacchaeus was. Verse 2 says that he was the chief tax collector. And the actual word there means that he was the arch tax collector. So you've got all the tax collectors, and who were the tax collectors? They were not like people. 
They were the people who were responsible for collecting taxes for the evil empire, the true evil empire, according to the Jewish people, the Roman Empire. And the tax collectors were the ones responsible for collecting, collecting the taxes. Now here's Zacchaeus, who's not just an ordinary tax collector, he's the arch tax collector. Is it any wonder that in verse 7, when they see Jesus going to him, that all the people grumbled? I wonder if we really start becoming missional, if we really start doing outreach, if we really start seeking for and really start believing and pursuing lost people as if they matter, because they matter to Jesus, will we grumble? Will we go, hmm, who is that coming in the doors of our church? Who is that attending this home fellowship group? Who is that doing whatever? Tim Keller points out, this is where he says there's a pattern in the book of Luke. He said, Luke mentions tax collectors six times throughout his gospel. And each time they're mentioned in a positive light. Six times. They're These are hated people. Everyone hated them, but Jesus did not. So you have, obviously here, the case of Zacchaeus, Jesus is drawn to him. You've got Luke chapter 18. I'll just give a couple examples. The parable in Luke chapter 18 where two men go to pray. One of them is filled with nothing but self-congratulation. I thank you that I'm not like all other men. I fast, I tithe, I pray, I do this, and I'm especially not like this tax collector over here. And what's the tax collector doing? He couldn't even look to heaven, but he's pleading to God for mercy. You have Luke chapter 15, and we'll come back to that in just a minute, where Jesus hung out with tax collectors. What's the teaching here? What's the pattern here? Jesus is attracted to lost people. He is attracted and drawn. Tim Keller says Jesus is attracted to outlaws. He's attracted to the down and out, those who know they are on the outside, and they are attracted to him. Now, what do we mean by down and out? What do we mean by the outsider? Well, in the Gospels, that's the socially unrespectable, like the poor, the tax collectors, foreigners. It could be morally unrespectable, people like prostitutes, physically unrespectable, people like lepers, the sick, the diseased. Jesus goes after them. He seeks and saves the lost. He's attracted to outcasts, and the outcasts are attracted to him. Why is this? Because unless you know you are a moral failure, as Tim Keller says, you will want religion and not the gospel. See, in a certain sense, it's not even the unrespectable who can come to Jesus, but it's only the unrespectable who can find Jesus. See, Jesus goes to only the lost. If you're not lost, you don't need Jesus. And Jesus isn't interested in you. You're doing fine on your own. If you're not lost, you're doing great. You don't need Jesus. What's the point of Jesus? 
only lost people, only failures, only the disreputable, only the unrespectable need Jesus. Jesus came for lost people. See, there's nowhere that we see this as clearly as Luke chapter 15. See, let me tell you what's going on here in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, states this as a very clear truth and proposition. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke chapter 15 tells it in a story form. We all love stories, don't we? So Luke chapter 15, Jesus is like, let me tell you a story. He calls them parables, by the way. But we can all follow stories. And how does it begin? He says, there was a man who had two sons. Okay, we get this. Characters in the story, a father and his two boys. Okay, we get it. The younger one, we immediately think of him as the bad guy. He says, give me the share of property that is coming to, to me. In other words, I want my inheritance now. And all commentators say very clearly that what this means is he wishes his father dead. The father gives him his share of the property, gives him his share of the inheritance, and he goes off in wild living. And then he loses everything. And then in verse 18, he starts to come home. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And then to me, one of the most amazing parts of this story, of this text, is the te text tells us that while he was still a long way off, I want you to picture this, while the prodigal, while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Do you know what that must have meant? He was seeking the lost. Here's his lost son, and what is the father doing? He is watching for him. He is pursuing him. He, while he is still a long way off, he's not ignoring him. He's not rejecting him. He is still, it says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with pity, was filled with compassion. And as he comes home, what does he do? He lavishes him with welcome, with love and with welcome. Gives him the best gifts. Meanwhile, the respectable one, the elder brother, what do we learn? The text tells us, verse 29, the elder brother says, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends, but with this son of yours, you won't even call him my little brother, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now let's put this story in context. Because this is one of three stories in Luke chapter 15. First you have the story of the lost sheep. And what happens with the lost sheep? There's a hundred sheep, one goes missing, what happens? They hold the 99 off and somebody goes on a search drops everything to search, to seek the lost sheep. Then you have the story of the lost coin. Coin is lost, sweep the entire house to seek diligently until she finds it. Now you have another lost item, a lost brother. The expectation is that will the elder brother search for him? And of course he doesn't. See, in all three stories, after what was lost was found, what happened? There was a party. 
the angels rejoiced in heaven. There was joy and rejoicing when something that was lost was found. What happens here? The elder brother was resentful. What happens in Luke chapter 19? They grumble. They're muttering because this type of person is brought into our midst. Friends, let me tell you, we don't want to be a church of elder brothers. Nothing is a stench in the nostrils of God like a church of elder brothers. We need to recognize salvation comes by grace. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And who were the lost? Every single one of us. We may be pretty lost, we may be ugly lost, but we're lost. And Jesus came for the lost. He's seeking. Who is he seeking? The lost. What is he doing? He is actually saving. Look with me at verse 9. And in verse 9 it says, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Follow the progression. In verses 2 to 4, you have Zacchaeus being drawn by Jesus. Jesus is seeking him. Remember that? But what do you see? You see signs. Zacchaeus is willing to get out there. He's climbing a sycamore tree. He's being vulnerable. He knows his spiritual need. He's interested in who this Jesus was. And he's wanting to see and get to know Jesus. Then in verses 5 to 6, Jesus shows Zacchaeus the gospel. He says, come down, I am coming to your house. Not you come to me, I'm coming to you. Zacchaeus did not invite Jesus. Jesus invited Zacchaeus. Jesus did not say, here are a whole bunch of things you need to do and maybe I'll show up. He says, I'm coming to you. And Zacchaeus understands the gospel. How do we know that? Look at verse 6. It says he rejoices. It says he received him joyfully. He didn't do anything for Jesus. He received him. He rejoiced in Jesus. That's how you know he's getting the gospel. And then Jesus says in verse 9, you are saved. Salvation has come to this house. You are a son of Abraham. You are a true child of God. You are set free. How do we know that? You've got this little bit with Zacchaeus' attitude towards money change changes. See, look at this. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. Verse 9, salvation has come to this house. Verse 8, right in the middle, says his attitude toward his money has totally changed. Did Jesus anywhere say you need, you're required to give away half, half of your goods? Was that a requirement put on, put on Zacchaeus? Fine, I'll take you and stuff like that, but you know what? You've been a pretty rotten, filthy guy, you know, gathering all these riches at the hands of these poor people, you know, kind of arch tax collector type thing. We don't like these kind of people. You better, anybody you've defrauded, give back four, fourfold. You better give away half your goods. That's a requirement. Did Jesus say that? No. That's not a requirement. Look at what happened. Zacchaeus was melted by the over-the-top generosity of Jesus, Jesus coming to him, and what was revealed, how do we know salvation has come? His heart was melted by the gospel, and he became over-the-top generous. He said, Jewish law, tithing, that, forget that. I'm giving away half my stuff. 
It's not my stuff to begin with. His heart was melted and gripped by the love of Jesus. Grace transforms everything. So for Zacchaeus, instead of money being his righteousness, instead of money being his status, where indeed money proved his worth, money was just a gift, a useful thing that he said, what good can I do with that? I'll give it away. Was it required? No. But what has got hold of him? Jesus' generosity to him. Salvation, the power of God. The gospel, we need to understand the gospel comes with power. That the gospel is the power of God. The gospel changes everything. He no longer was using money to make himself a significant, secure, worthwhile person. He no longer needed. If he had it, great. If he didn't have it, great. He says, behold, Lord. Tim Keller says, religion says, if I follow all the rules, then God, you owe me. If you are owed, then you are still Lord. And if you are Lord, then you as Lord must save yourself. But the gospel says that God has sent his son to follow the rules for men, and then you owe God everything. Do you see, friends, Jesus loves you. He loves the down and out. He loves the up and out. He loves the outsiders. He loves the insiders. He loves the broken. He loves the together. He loves the successful. He loves the failures. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. My good friend McKay Caston puts it this way. He says, the gospel is like ripples of grace. When you're standing by a pond or a lake, and you throw a stone in, what happens? It creates a ripple. And the ripples go from inside out, don't they? The first ripple that has to happen is to our own hearts. Grace has to get a hold of us so that it renews our hearts. We come to realize he has come to seek and to save the lost, which is me. It renews us. And then like ripples, it goes outward to our family, to our church, and to our community. Lord, friends, I pray that we would have a spiritual awakening here in such a way that it would be like ripples of grace. That grace would touch our hearts in such a way that we would be renewed and the ripples would go out to our families, marriages would be different. The way we listen to people would be different. It would go out to our, how we treat and listen and understand each other, and it would go out to our community. And it would go on and on and on. Lord, I do pray for the gospel to touch, change, impact our hearts, that it would be like ripples of grace that that first ripple would be within our own hearts, that rather than avoiding the fact that we, were lost, that we are lost, we would go, yes, I'm lost. And even though I've been found, I need to be found every day. There is not a single day I live that I don't need to be saved. 
I need to be saved today. I need to be saved tomorrow. It's not that we lose our salvation like eternity, but we need to continually be renewed by a rediscovery of the gospel. And I pray that you would help us. Holy Spirit, help us to rediscover continually the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's close out our service standing and singing together, Blessed Assurance. Thank you.